Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.20 a.m. on the 23rd of January 2020. This is episode 185 of Bitcoin, and let's get right on into Torchlight. There's some interesting developments. Um, Let's start with who holds the torch right now. The Vlad Costia, one of our uh, good friends from uh, writers from Bitcoin Magazine. It's actually one of my favorites. Uh, Vlad, you got the torch, bro. You got the torch. LN Trust Chain 2 torch is held firmly in the grasp of the the, the Vlad Costia. He says, I'll try to unify it with the LN Tiny Torch because it's been around for almost a year, adding one sat every turn, uh, then let them go their separate ways. Currently taking requests, send invoices for, wow, 1.18 million sats. Boy, this thing is growing fast, bro. Growing fast. Now, where did the torch come from? It came from Klaus Lovgren. Uh, That's right. Klaus Lovgren, about an hour ago, said, I once again have the LN torch. I send 1.16 million sats to the first person I choose to trust that replies to this tweet with an invoice. That person adds 10,000 sats and makes a tweet asking for a 1.17 million sat LN invoice. Follow Hodel or not. Don't break it. And of course, Vlad, uh, <clears throat> being the good Transylvanian that he is, decided that he's going to go ahead and take that torch. So he's holding the torch and is currently asking it for an invoice of 1.18 million Satoshis. Uh, And, of course, he's already got several invoices on board. I don't know if he's selected one or not. Now, some of the more interesting things. The Torch, LN Trust Chain Torch number 2, has been extinguished in its path. Yes, we have found one more shit bag that we need to, uh, uh, and I don't know who it is. Uh, Hodel Anat is not saying the name because he doesn't want to stir up that shit storm but a shitbag has extinguished the torch by stealing it, not sending it on its way. I hope he enjoys his, uh, however much cash it is, I'm not even going to look, 100 bucks or whatever it is, uh, so that you will, because it's not going to be Hodel and not that, that gives the name, but that name is is going to be released soon. And um, yeah, pariah would be a good word to be using at this point. Uh, let's now on that note, uh, let's, let's get into this. Um, it appears that it was at Jimmy Hama who out of the goodness of his heart 
relit the torch with his own money. What happens here when the, when, when the torch gets extinguished, uh, the, the only way to reignite that torch is out of your own pocket. You have to buy or, or, or reignite the torch with your, well, out of your own pocket. So whatever the value of the torch was, when it gets extinguished is if you decide to do it, you're going to be out personally that much cash. So it was Jimmy Hama, J-I-M-M-Y-H-O-M-M-A, who released the torch from his, his custody and whoever got that torch uh, extinguished it. So Jimmy Hama, out of the goodness of his pockets, has decided to reignite the torch. So uh, people are sending, uh, or, or I'm asking, other people are doing it already, but I'm going to put out the call um, Jimmy Hama has a tip in me, right? So I think it would be very worth our while to send Jimmy Hama through tipping me some Satoshis to help him offset the cost of having to fix the fuck up that shitbag decided to perpetrate on the LN lightning on the LN trust chain. Um, this happened a couple of times with the first trust chain. And of course people are, you know, would point at it and say, look, see your shit sucks. And it wouldn't matter because the torch would get relit and resent. And in a very real way, there was no extinguishment of that torch. And people will be doing this all the time. Generally speaking, I, I, I think the shit bags are probably, trolls from the BCH or BSV or ripple heads or something like that, that just want to make these kinds of experiments either fail or look bad. Of course they do, they do neither because Jimmy Hama is going to get all of his money back and probably even more, uh, because the community is coming together as it always does to relight the torch. I think there's something to be said for that. Anyway, go to at Jimmy Hama on Twitter Use your tip in me to tip Mr. Hama some Satoshis so that he can replace the money that he had to spend out of his pocket. I'm going to do it after the show. Um, I'm not going to say how much because, you know, OPSEC and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I'm going to help Jimmy Hama out because we need to be helping each other out through times like this when shit bags are trying to make everything uh, terrible because that's what they're doing. <laughs> terrible. Um, also, uh, on finally for Torchlight during the LN trust chain Two uh, marathon here, we've come, we've come across something very interesting with the drop bit app that is at drop bit app, D R O P B I T A P P. If you don't have the drop bit wallet, it's pretty cool. I like the interface a lot. It's really nice, but it's hit its limits. Um, we've got, who is this? ESI attorney. That is at ESI attorney. Uh, apparently tried to grab the torch for that. Probably for, it looks like from Vlad because it's 1.18 million sats, which is 98 bucks. Yeah, I was right. About hundred bucks is what shitbag was able to score out of, out of burning his reputation in the fire that is crypto Twitter. Um, anyway, this guy tried to get the torch from Vlad, but Dropbit sent him uh, the Dropbit app sent him error invoice amount too high. 
So he threw Dropbit on the Lightning uh, side of Dropbit because you can use it with Lightning or Bitcoin, which is one of the cool things about Dropbit. Uh, but it has its limits. And apparently 1.18 million Satoshis is above Dropbit's Lightning Wallet's uh, limit. So people are asking for Dropbit to fix it. I'm also asking for Dropbit to fix it. Uh, this entire thing is, you know, what's nice about this particular torch is that in a very real way, it is doing what Proof of Keys does every January 3rd, and that is stress test the network. The first LN torch, the only stress that we were getting was the fact that shitbags were stealing it. That happened. I, I don't think it happened any more than three times, pretty sure. And I think it actually only happened really twice. But this time we've got, you know, somebody who's already done it uh, once. But that aside, the fact that these invoices are getting to be pretty high, because I don't think that the the first uh, LN trust chain did not start getting into these numbers. But now now they are. And we're starting to stress uh, some of the wallets out there, some of the custodial wallets, non-custodial wallets. We're... we're we very well may find who, you know, who is able to, uh, I don't know, lack of better terms, survive the LN trust chain too. And personally, I think that's great. I think these stress tests, you know, uh, are, are really important to all the networks, <laughs> the Bitcoin network, lightning network, you know, these, these stress tests are, this is what you want to do. You do not want to put planes in the air and you, and you don't know at what stress level the wing snaps off. I mean, right. You, you really want to know that kind of thing. So that's another aspect of the LN trust chain too, that I find uh, invigorating. I, I love this thing. And the last thing that I'm going to do for the uh, torchlight for today is read you this one from Coindesk. This was written yesterday by Alyssa Hertig. Uh, Bitcoin's lightning torch reignites, blazes through 38 countries in three days. The torch is a digital game first ignited in January 2019 by pseudonymous Bitcoin enthusiast Hulanot, known for his Twitter avatar of a cat in a spacesuit. We call him Space Cat. Each torchbearer sends a tiny amount of Bitcoin to the next. And a key rule is to add a little bit more money to the payment each time it moves to someone new. The goal is to highlight the speed and global nature of the Lightning Network, a payment technology that could solve or at least greatly ease some of Bitcoin's most critical problems. Started on a whim for fun, the torch became a global event, even carried by Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey, showing how frictionless and indifferent to borders the form of payment is compared to to legacy methods like Visa and PayPal. On Sunday, Hodel did not lit the torch for the second time in what he described as a spur-of-the-moment decision. Since then, many enthusiasts have been posting lightning invoices on Twitter to which the torchbearer can send the next lightning payment. It's moving around the world much faster the second time, already reaching 91 people in three days. Quote, made over 30 passes across the globe as I slept, end quote, Hodel Anat said on Twitter Tuesday morning. Speaking to Coindesk, Hodel Anat argued that one reason the torch has changed hands so speedily this time is that the big names and companies haven't taken it. Quote, it has been almost exclusively held by plebs. 
<laughs> God, God love the taco plebs. There have, has been no posturing, just lots of enthusiastic normal Bitcoin and Lightning Network users that have passed the torch along promptly with no fuss. It feels very grassroots. Last time it took longer than two weeks, two weeks to get to the nine, 139 people in 37 countries. But the torch made some exciting stops on that tour. Despite worries about breaking United States sanctions, the torch made it to Iran last March. A group of Venezuelans received the torch with no electricity. In an interesting experiment, they powered their lightning node with a motorcycle battery. The first torch fizzled out when it reached a hard-coded limit on how much lightning could be sent in a single payment. The cap was 4.29 million satoshis, the unit for 100 millionth of a Bitcoin. Developers could lift the cap, which works out to about $370 at current exchange rates, when they think the payment technology is secure enough. Until then, Hodel and Odd is eager to see how long the new torch lasts. How many sats before it breaks, he tweeted, using the short form of Satoshi's. So that I've I don't think I remember coming across the story of the Venezuelans receiving the torch with no electricity. I don't think I remember reporting on that. That's a new one on me. I don't I do remember the fact that it got to Iran and if I remember right, uh, it was went from, I think, Israel to Palestine in a cross-border payment, which <laughs> should piss a, hopefully pisses a lot of the, of the right people off. And by right people, I mean assholes. Anyway, so anyway, that's going to do it for Torchlight. Let's get run over by some vital statistics. We got uh, a drop in the price. If you haven't seen it, then you just woke up or live under a rock. Uh, BitInfo Charts has Bitcoin at a price of 8386.15. The high is going to be over there at P2P, B2B at 8388. And it looks like the low is going to be... Good God. No, the high is bit asset at 8,441. Sorry about that. The low is going to be over at Coinbase Pro at 8,362. So still pretty tight, pretty tight range there. Uh, 320,000 transactions were made over the last 24 hours, giving us about 13,300 transactions on average per hour. Almost a million BTC have been sent in the last 24 hours, with an average being sent per hour of 39,215. Average transaction value is 2.3 BTC. The median transaction value is 0.025 BTC, or about 211 bucks. Block time's a bit low, 9 minutes and 4 seconds. Uh, we have... 0.13 BTC being taken in fees on a per block, 21, uh, 22 BTC being taken in rewards overall, <clears throat> not rewards, in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We have an eight, uh, an eight and a third percent increase in the hash rate. We're chilling out. According to BitInfo charts, my note is probably going to say different, but BitInfo charts has it at 116 exahashes per second. And the last time somebody committed anything to the core repository for Bitcoin was sometime yesterday. We have Ethereum 
at 163, Bcash at 337, BSV back under 300 at 286, Litecoin at 55.59, Ethereum Classic, which is going to be in the news a little bit later today, is at $8.73, Dogecoin taking it on the chin, 0.0023, but with 30,000 transactions under its belt, uh, it's, uh, well, it's killing Litecoin and that's about it. Now let's check out my node. Why do I call it my node? Because I'm using my node. I have my Bitcoin node. If you've been not listening, I finally spun back up a full node. I'm using the Raspberry Pi four. It is and a, <clears throat> sorry, a Samsung SSD one terabyte drive total, um, all in about 200 bucks when I get right down to it because that drive is the Samsung uh, SSDs are kind of pricey, but I just, I just didn't want failure. So I went ahead and did it <clears throat> anyway. It's chilling out all by itself in the corner and it doesn't matter if I power down my main computer or not. Why? Because as it's running on a big, on a, uh, uh, Raspberry Pi 4, it is a standalone node with its own power source and its own data connection to the internet, which is nice. And as I suspected, the hash rate that my node is reporting is 120 exahashes per second. We have a mempool with eight, ooh, yeah, it's pretty large, man. Eight megabyte mempool with 3,697 unconfirmed transactions. It looks like <clears throat> we got some pretty fast blocks. Most of the time, let's see. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got uh, some blocks that are coming in within two or three minutes of each other, even though I just told you with BitInfo charts that the block times are nine minutes. This is a little misleading, and I'm not being mean. I'm just facts is facts. I've got, you know, I've got a seven-minute old block followed by a four-minute old block, followed by a three-minute old block. The times between those are not nine minutes, okay? that's this. The, these are just facts. I'm not concerned because all of these things, all of the blocks that are coming through, I'm looking at the last 10 blocks and every single one of them uh, is well above, well, well, well above one megabyte, uh, 1.3, 1.2, 1.2, 1.29, 1.217. So, and they're all full. I mean, they're, they, transactions are, are, are getting done very, very quickly. <clears throat> so, uh, let's see what Lightning Network is doing. We have 11,141 nodes. We have 35,900 channels. We have 884 BTC in the network. It's about $7.3 million in liquidity. And uh, let's see here. Oh, that is not the one that I wanted to use. I know why. Hold on. There we go. There we go. Okay. Now, uh, we have 14 new nodes that came online in the last 24 hours, which is a 55.5% increase in the last 24 hours. We have 130 new channels that came online in the last 24 hours, but that is a 7.8% drop in percentage. So anyway, there you go. That's going to do it for Vitals.
going to start the morning roundup off with a tweet from Alawala. <laughs> There's no way I'm ever going to be able to pronounce roast beef's name. So I'm just going to call him roast beef. Uh, Asentokan is his last name. I think I got kind of close to that. Anyway, it's at roast beef, R-O-A-S-B-E-E-F. The, uh, if you don't know who he is, he's he's part of the lightning uh, lightning crew, man. I mean, this guy's been part of, uh, has been one of the founders of the lightning technology as we know it. So I have a tendency to listen to him when he has something to say because he's been in it for so damn long. He says that LND, uh, version 0.9.0 beta has been released. This release includes support for multi-path payments, key send, the Macaroon Bakery First Class Channel rebalancing support, custom payment records, and more. As usual, we recommend that all users update. Now, for myself, I will have to wait until my node guys gets all this shit compiled in to their next update, and then I will have to update my node so that I will have the ability to support multi-path payments. For those of you who don't know, what multipath payments are, the breakdown, the, sim- the, the simpleton version is this. And I'm not being mean to y'all. Literally, this is the only way that I can really wrap my little scant mind around this thing. Um, right now, if I make a payment to go buy something on the Lightning Network, generally speaking, I am sending a singular payment or a singular invoice that gets routed through the Lightning Network all the way to the place that I am purchasing said good or service from. Single invoice, single payment, cleared. The problem (laughs) is what if the payment that I need to make is two things. What if the payment I need to make is kind of a little large? Uh, that may cause some routing problems, which is the kind of the, the second problem. Even with smaller payments, you might run into routing problems. Why? Because this whole thing is beta. This is not production. And anybody who told you that Lightning Network is in production is wrong. Production does not mean that we have a working network. And what I mean by that is that we... Just because you have a let me ba- let me reverse that. Just because you have a working network does not mean that network's in production. Okay, we are not in production, even though we have a full blown lightning network and it does work and we're using it all the time. We can tell that with Lightning Torch uh, or the the LN Trust Chain Torch um, and all that. All the buying stickers from stores, buying coffee. Yes, the damn thing works, but it's not in production. That means that there's still always going to be some problems. And even when it does get into production, when it gets out of beta and into gold status, then there's still going to be some problems. But there will be enough that we'll we'll all, you know, that we are all going to be agreeing that it is now a product, you know, production level type thing. <clears throat> Multipath allows me to break up my payments and I'm not going to be the one breaking up my payments. The network is going to do this network encounters some kind of routing problem, or maybe the invoice is a little too weighty for some parts of the network. The network can break that payment up or that invoice up and send it through different. All, all those little pieces can now route through separate nodes and 
leverage the all the separate nodes differential liquidities and then combine the son of a bitch back on the other side so that that invoice gets paid even though it never might have gone through a, a, a routing node that had the liquidity to be able to service the invoice that I created if that makes any sense I'm really excited for multipath payments uh, it's also gonna I think it's also going to help a lot with privacy I, I really do because you just start tearing these these invoices up and sending them around into different nodes and some of them may be private and some of them are tore and some of them not and by the time it all gets combined on the other side there should be enough confusion that some poor asshole who's sitting over at a block analytics company just just gives up and says you know I, I have no idea I got better fish to fry so Lightning or LND version 0.9.0 beta has been released. Uh, go uh, like search for it on, on Google and you will find it. Or you can just go to the GitHub repository, which is github.com forward slash lightning network forward slash LND forward slash releases. By that, if you can't find 0.9.0 beta looking at, through that, then uh, I, I cannot help you any any longer. <laughs> I don't want to give the full address there. Okay, now, <clears throat> coming from good news into a circus tent, we have Tanuki at Tanuki BTC tweeted out sometime yesterday, uh, sometime one one thirty six p.m. Central Standard Time. Bcash going full centralization, introducing a miners tax of twelve point five percent to be paid into a Hong Kong company. <sighs> what? Okay, so let's let's get into this a little bit. Let's let's first of all let's do the. Uh, Coindesk article written by Patty Baker uh, this morning. Bitcoin cash miners propose controversial soft fork for Zcash style development fund. A group of Bitcoin cash miners is preparing to soft fork to redirect some of the block rewards into a new Zcash style development fund. In a medium post Wednesday, Zhejiang Azure, CEO of mining pool BTC Top, said that the group of some of the largest Bitcoin cash mining pools were preparing to soft fork the network to implement a, quote, short-term donation plan, end quote, that would cut block rewards by 12.5% in order to fund network development. Quote, investment in software and commons is crucial to secure a bright, Future for our shitcoin, the post reads, arguing that neglect can have a damaging effect on the network. We can avoid these problems by providing an adequate level of stable funding, allowing Bcash to thrive and succeed. Signed by, oh, and this is my favorite. Anytime somebody says, or this, a story has a sentence that says, signed by, you know what I'm thinking of. Satoshi's Roundtable that came up with the whole... Segwit 2x bullshit. Of course, we killed the 2x part and just got ourselves Segwit, which is what what we wanted anyway. But uh, yeah, a bunch of people getting into a room. I don't care if they're dressed in suits, telling me how some network, you know, the the network is going to work. That doesn't sit well with me, and it didn't sit well with a whole bunch of people. I don't think this is going to sit well with the Bcash crew either. But it, it's ludicrous 
I'm, I'll read the paragraph, but this is ludicrous because signed by Jihan Wu of Antpool and BTC.com, Roger Ver from Bitcoin.com and via BTC's Hypo Yang, Zuer's post argues that there are significant problems with the current funding mechanism. Yeah, it's because Ver ran out of money. Donations are made on a voluntary basis, making it difficult to finance long-term projects and giving corporate donors an undue influence over developers. Many community members, Zura writes, don't currently contribute anything at all, creating a tragedy of the commons situation where the self-interest of individuals is contrary to the common good of the network. It may be controversial, but redirecting block rewards is undoubtedly a far better solution than the current funding system the post reads. Many of the same miners included in the post had previously pushed to introduce a development tax during a CoinGeek BCH conference back in 2018. A report by crypto investment firm Electric Capital found Bitcoin Cash lost more than 30% of its developers between December of 2018 and June of 2019, the largest drop of any major blockchain network. Because Bcash <clears throat> uses the same SHA-256 hash algorithm as Bitcoin, most of the block reward cost will, according to the post, be carried by the dominant Bitcoin miners who constitute approximately 97% of the hash ecosystem. Assuming Bcash stays at around 300 bucks, Zuer calculates the new mechanism could raise more than $6 million in six months. Wow, boy, that's just so much. Quote, it's a clever proposal with good intent, tweeted uh, Emin Goon Sarir, adding that marginally lower hash rate for steady developer funds was a good trade-off as empirically more attacks have been due to underfunded devs than to malicious hash rate. So Emin has weighed in already on this shit show. Of course, that doesn't surprise me. How he still works at Cornell is just beyond my imagination. But the proposal is not without its controversy. Zura's post says that BCH blocks that don't follow the soft fork will be orphaned, meaning that they won't be accepted by the five mining pools and risk not receiving any block reward whatsoever. Honey, if those things are orphaned, there's not a risk they're not going to get a reward. There's not risk. You spelled everything wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. There's no, there's not a risk associated with this. It is a fact. If your blocks are orphaned, you will not get paid. Fact, not risk. You spelled fact wrong. Funds will also be directed to an unnamed Hong Kong corporation, which is in quotes, that will coordinate and pay for network development. It's not certain whether this new corporation, corporation, I'll say it one more time, corporation will pay third-party developers or if it will do most of the work itself, like the electric coin company on Zcash. In an Ask Me Anything Reddit session Thursday, Zur clarified that miners would ensure the transparency and effective use of all the funds by the Hong Kong Corporation. Antpool's Wu added in the same AMA that many of the details for how the corporation would be governed and how development projects would be prioritized were still under discussion. There are many unspecified aspects to the proposal, Sarir said. 
Specifically, who will manage the collected funds and how will they be distributed? That the proposal was sprung on members of the BCH community was terrible PR and community management, he continued, while the threat of orphaning dissenting blocks blocks risk alienating much of the mining community. It's also disputed whether the five mining pools will be able to force the community to accept their soft fork. At press time, the signatories had a combined BCH hash rate of just under 28%, way below the required majority needed to push the soft fork through by themselves. Quote, they can't enforce this coercive soft fork unless they come up with a lot more hash rate, and it would likely lead to many forks, tweeted Charlie Lee, creator of Litecoin. Adding such a centralizing feature in this coercive manner sets such a bad precedent. You think? No, No, really? You think? Okay, so on the orphaning issue, I'm going to the actual blog post from uh, Zur, or however you pronounce his last name. Uh, this is section five on the media. It's a medium.com uh, uh, blog post. Uh, section five says on orphaning. And the most highlighted sentence in this entire piece, in fact, nothing, I don't see anything else as actually having any kind of highlights uh, for the for medium if if you re, if you visit medium often you'll find like certain things are highlighted in green or blue or something like that the only one that i can see that's highlighted at all is the following to ensure participation and include subsidization from the whole pool of sha 256 mining miners will orphan bch blocks that do not follow the plan this is needed to avoid a tragedy of the commons. Tragedy of the commons is probably the most spouted off sentence from Roger Ver uh, that I've ever heard. He always talks about it. So it's not surprising that that bullshit narrative is in here as well. Okay, so what do I think about this? I hope they do it. I hope they push this through. I don't think they will. I <laughs> I think what will end up happening is that it will start splintering. Uh, you know, I guess it doesn't matter which way it goes because I think this, I think splintering is probably going to occur, but I, I can almost guarantee you that there would probably be more tragic consequences if they were to push this through than if they don't, I still think there's going to be forks either way. Uh, and then those forks will, 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 die and I don't know it's just the whole thing is just another clown show but when it says to ensure participation what he really means to say is to ensure compliance and this is where I start into thinking about how this is just wrong on a philosophical level uh, you can't force anybody to do anything on any chain, whether it's a shitcoin chain or actual Bitcoin. You, we've proven this before. There's been many instances where you know what we're just not going along with it. Some of it has resulted in forks. Uh, the the whole Segwit two X thing resulted in the fork of BCH. That was the main that he had been. Roger Ver had been threatening that for a while, but. Um, it, you know, uh, he was probably going to fork off what, no matter what happened with Segwit 2X, because there's just too much money involved for himself. But we already proved that, that this type of thing just, it doesn't work. And this is, they're following the exact same path as the Segwit 2X thing. They got into a room and they signed an agreement. 
who, so this is centralized. And this is what we were talking about with the whole SegWit 2X thing that happened in what, 2017, with the build up to 2017. Um, I th- can't remember when it was released. Was it the summer? I know the, the, the block size wars got really bad at the uh, beginning of 2017. Uh, it doesn't matter. In either event, we already proved that this shit doesn't work and they're doing it again. How this affects these guys, I think is actually going to be much more brutal and, uh, and, and have a lot more, I don't know, a, a lot more impact for them. It's not going to affect us. It's not going to affect actual Bitcoiners. It will affect these guys. And I, I think this is sort of like the writing on the wall for that entire chain, but I've said that shit before. So anyway, uh, and they're also saying that it's going to last for six months from May 15th of 2020 to November 15th of this year. Um, yeah, if they implement this, if this gets implemented, the first thing that you're going to look for is running right past November 15th and they will not shut it down. But that depends on whether or not they get this thing executed in the first place. It doesn't freaking matter. Daily HODL, uh, Daily HODL staff is writing sometime this morning that 784,000 Bitcoin addresses now hold at least one BTC in new sign of long-term accumulation. Despite Bitcoin's historical price volatility, The number of addresses holding at least one Bitcoin has seen a largely linear growth pattern over the past decade. There are now 784,000 addresses holding a minimum of one full BTC, according to Glassnode, an on-chain market intelligence firm. Crypto analysts are pointing to the metric as evidence of Bitcoin's enduring strength, despite media narratives that sometimes argue otherwise, Peter Schiff. There are more than twice as many addresses with more than one BTC than there were in early 2015. There is also nearly an 11% increase year over year from the 707,000 Bitcoin addresses with more than one BTC in early 2019. Additionally, the number of Bitcoin addresses holding between 0.1 and 1 BTC rose by an almost identical percentage from 2019 to 2020. It should be noted that one investor could hold a vast array of BTC addresses, meaning the total number of Bitcoin addresses does not necessarily equal the number of Bitcoin investors. A, I don't like the term investing or investors when it comes to this space, but that's just me. And second, that's absolutely correct. The fact that there could be a whole, there could be a whale that just decided to buy a whole shitload of cold cards or something and put uh one BTC on like, you know, 500. I don't know. It it's, it's not outside of the realm of possibility. And I think something like that is more kind of demonstrates more paranoia and, and there's nothing wrong with paranoia in this space. And I'm not giving them any shit. It's probably good to be paranoid in this space, but it does not absolutely mean that there's that many more people that have come in that have burned their fiat on the steps of the statue of that, which is Bitcoin. Cointelegraph Jack Martin says, has Quebec missed the ship for attracting Bitcoin currency miners? Oh, this was written this morning. The result of a 300 megawatt energy allocation for cryptocurrency miners run by a Canadian provincial utility provider, Hydro-Quebec, has failed to attract expected demand from the local industry. Now, pause. Wait. Just wait. 
there's some history here and some context that they may or may not get to in this particular story. So just this is not necessarily bad news. In my opinion, this is Hydro-Quebec and Quebec themselves screwing the pooch about two years ago. Sorry, continuing. A request for proposals for power allocation was opened in June of last year, supposedly based on huge demand of around 16,000 megawatts from miners around the world that wanted to take advantage of Quebec's hydroelectric power. But submissions closed on October the 31st, 2019. According to a January 22nd report from Radio Canada, the results of the RFP uh, only released recently with Hydro-Quebec granting one-fifth of total blocks set aside for crypto mining. As crypto te- or Cointelegraph has reported, Quebec's path to eventual acceptance <clears throat> of cryptocurrency mining has been a rocky one. Yeah, they are going to get into it. Good. Initially, back in March of 2018, local authorities said that they were, quote, not interested in attracting mining business to the province unless they could provide some added value. However... By May of that year, the Quebec government had supposedly lifted its moratorium on energy sales to cryptocurrency miners eager to avoid missing the ship. Just a week later, Hydro-Quebec once again stopped processing requests for mining power after receiving an unprecedented demand which reportedly threatened to disrupt its energy obligations to the rest of the province. By the end of June 2018, Hydro-Quebec had proposed new rules under which blockchain companies must bid for power resources and quantify the jobs and investments they intend to provide in the area, but local officials refused to ratify it. Instead, the provincial power regulator, Regi de l'Energie, man, I know, any, any Frenchman is just pointing at me and laughing right now, ruled to reserve a 300-megawatt block for crypto mining. Jonathan Hamill, the founder and president of Academe Bitcoin, a crypto consulting service, told Cointelegraph that Hydro-Quebec had dramatically overstated the purported power demands from miners. Quote, during the Quebec Energy Board hearings in June 2018, Hydro-Quebec stated that they received more than 16,000 megawatt equivalent of demand for Bitcoin mining to date. That number was completely debunked by invited Bitcoin miners and experts. Hydro-Quebec finally admitted that the serious demand was somewhere around 1,000 megawatts. <coughs> yeah, we'll, we'll just go ahead and end it there because they get into talking about how Blockstream is not bidding anymore. Here's, the, here's the, the long and the short of this shit is that at one point or another, there was extreme interest in moving in miners, especially from China, moving facil- physical facilities and infrastructure to Quebec to take advantage of the hydroelectric power, Quebec in its infinite idiocy decided to take a big old dump on that and say, no. Now this either came from, was kind of a combination of screw ups at hydro Quebec itself, but also in conjunction with Quebec government. They said that they didn't want, it was just, there was like talk of destroying the environment and, a waste of electricity and all the bullshit that we hear. And now Quebec is sitting on a whole bunch of hydroelectric power like they were before that they have an oversupply of, and they have missed the boat. They were, they had stated that they were afraid of missing the boat after their first screw up into this foray. And yeah, they've missed the boat. Other like during the time that they were twiddling their fingers, 
all manner of countries around the world that have like all type of renewable resources that are stranded or otherwise going unused have stepped up to the plate and say, we want it. Quebec, this is what happens when you sit on your ass or when you, or rather when you sit on your hands and, and or sit on your thumb and spin, when you get finished spinning, what you're going to find out is that sometime during your spinning, the music stopped and everybody sat down and you're the only idiot in the room sitting there with a thumb up their ass. Dude, you deserve every bit of that shit. Sorry. Daily Hodel's staff is writing sometime yesterday. Uh, this is a little bit idiotic, but it's going to lead into something. Hold on. Blockchain startup Nori raises $1.3 million to spark carbon removal revolution. The Seattle-based blockchain startup Nori has reportedly raised $1.3 million to jumpstart its efforts to help reverse climate change. The company is working to build an Ethereum-based marketplace that creates financial incentives for the removal of excess carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Nori plans to raise $5 million more from investors in the coming months to grow its team, reports GeekWire. Chief Executive Paul Gambill says Nori aims to create a decentralized mechanism that rewards businesses for capturing carbon dioxide in the air and burying it into the ground. Nori has launched its own crypto token to power its ecosystem. Quote, the cryptocurrency would pay farmers to capture the gas by using sustainable farming techniques that promote the growth of microbes and bacteria in topsoil. <clears throat> the microscopic organisms pull CO2 out of the air and hold it in the ground where it won't heat the planet. The company is building its marketplace on the Ethereum network. Too bad. <laughs> You'll have to switch to Ethereum too after a while anyway. According to Nori's lead strategist, Ross Kenyon, the developers chose Ethereum in part due to its plans to switch to a proof-of-stake model for verifying transactions, which is expected to require far less energy than traditional proof-of-work blockchains such as Bitcoin. Okay. There's actually a lot more to unpack there than meets the eye, but the one that we're gonna talk, I'm gonna talk about here is this whole choosing the choosing of Ethereum because of its proof of stake model. If you're a business and you are looking at doing some X, whether you're gonna put money into it or use an infrastructure that's third party to do some some X, then you need to look at the history of that thing that you're looking at. I don't think they're looking at the history. They're looking at, oh, they're going to move to proof of stake and it won't burn much as, as much electricity and, and blah, 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 blah. Okay. Well, yeah, they, Ethereum hasn't, you know, has never moved to proof of stake. They've been doing this for two, three years now or two, at least. They're never going to end up going proof of stake. And when they do, that network is going to fall apart because a lot of miners that are proof of work, they don't want to brick their shit. So you're going to end up with another Ethereum fork. And those miners that are proof of work are going to stay proof of work. And you've got bad problems. Um, we're, we'll get into carbon dioxide here after a little while, maybe. Uh, they're not whoever's writing this either doesn't have all the information from these people or these people, Nori, 
don't really know what they're talking about either, but we may or may not get into that today. We are running long already. Pornhub, speaking of long, Pornhub adds Tether Stablecoin as new crypto payment option. Adult entertainment website Pornhub has added a new cryptocurrency payment option after PayPal stopped servicing its models in late 2019. This is Helen Parts by uh, from Cointelegraph sometime this morning. According to a blog post, Pornhub now supports Tether to allow instant and zero-fee payments via the crypto wallet and browser extension. Oh, God, Tron Link. <laughs> Tron Link is a native wallet for Tron, the 12th largest cryptocurrency by market cap, and backed by the Tron Foundation. USDT token became available on the Tron network after Tether and the Tron Foundation partnered and released the first Tron-based USDT tokens in April of 2019. Uh, so... Yeah, they decided to go all in Tron for Pornhub. Uh, you know, probably not the best decision just, just because Tron, <laughs> for fuck's sake. Square secures patent for a new cryptocurrency payment network. Uh, <clears throat> hopefully this doesn't go into Circusville. This is Nicholas Marinoff writing for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. Jack Dorsey Square continues to make waves. Earlier this week, the payments giant secured yet another crypto-related patent, this one for spe that specifically registers a system for converting payments made in fiat to non-fiat instruments. The news was first reported earlier today by industry publication Coindesk. Square's patent application puts it like this, quote, a method includes receiving a request for payment associated with a transaction between a first user and second user where the request specifies a payment amount in a fiat currency and identifying an indication that the first user intends to satisfy the request for payment using a non-fiat instrument, end quote. In other words, users on this proposed cryptocurrency payment network may pay with fiat while recipients can choose to receive their funds in digital currency. The exchange of currencies occurs directly through the network itself, and the transacting parties do not take any additional steps. The payment network would work in reverse as well, meaning someone could easily issue digital currency while requesting that a fiat payment be given to the other person. This could potentially provide another way for retail customers to use crypto to purchase goods at traditional online ships, shops, and brick-and-mortar stores. The patent lists several advantages to the platform's technology, including its ability to process crypto transactions in real time. According to the document, cryptocurrency payments, especially those involving Bitcoin, can often take a minimum of 10 minutes to confirm, whereas Square's proposed system could potentially cut that down to seconds, making crypto transactions comparable to those of credit cards. Of course, <clears throat> Square has had its sights set on crypto for quite some time. Just days ago, Square's crypto arm, appropriately called Square Crypto, released its first product, a Lightning Development Kit. It didn't actually release it, guys. It, there's no date on the release. They announced it. Okay, it was an announcement. Designed to ease the process of integrating Lightning technology into new businesses and projects, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, there we go. We got Square uh, snapping up a patent. Am I happy? Ah, Jack's going to do what Jack's going to do. Patents be damned. But, ah, you know, it's not terrible for, for Bitcoin. Uh, diehards uh, in the ethos will uh, be shitting themselves on this, and that's okay. We need that too. It, it's going to be all right, y'all. Everything is fine. Bitcoin nodes go ultra private thanks to the Tor network. This is Bitcoinist.com's 
Ali, writing sometime yesterday, 2020 is going to be a big year for Bitcoin for a number of reasons. One of the biggest is the upcoming halving, which is expected to take place in May. Then there's a pending update that is supposed to make Bitcoin network more efficient. Both events are expected to be the cause of a bull run that may <clears throat> that many are expecting to take place and even launch BTC towards a new ATH. That's all-time high. With that in mind, it's not very surprising that all eyes are on BTC and each move that the project makes often ends up being carefully studied. This is why many have noticed a large trend regarding Bitcoin nodes recently. Thanks to the use of Tor, Bitcoin nodes are now becoming completely anonymous to run. According to data from BitNodes, the first two weeks of January have seen a number of anonymous nodes increase from 2.1% to 19.7%, which is the largest contribution that the Tor network has ever had. So far, it remains unknown why the increase of anonymous nodes is occurring. However, there is no denying that the Tor network, which revolves around privacy and anonymity, has been a very helpful tool when it comes to dealing with the issues that the BTC network sees during a node setup. When setting up a new node, usually being difficult to do in a way that allows everyone to see it, Tor is capable of solving the issue by routing around it. With Bitcoin continuously growing as a project and with all that is expected to take place in 2020, it is not surprising that new nodes are emerging all around the world. In fact, in late 2019, it was reported that Bitcoin nodes exceeded Ethereum's by thousands. That's always been true. Not only that, but Bitcoin fans have been conducting experiments with nodes lately, even managing to run a full node on a Tesla car, which was a rather popular story that made numerous headlines recently. The data from BitNodes further indicates that the number of nodes utilizing the Tor network has grown from around 200 to around 2,000. Similar growth was noticed before, as well, most notably during the summer of last year. In mid-2019, the number of nodes using the Tor network tripled for around two weeks before dropping down to normal levels. As for the number of Tor utilizing nodes is surging, or as the number of Tor utilizing nodes is surging, the number of those using IPv4 and IPv6 seems to be dropping, indicating that many of the users may be relocating to Tor permanently. It is still unknown where the users who use Tor are from, although it was noted that multiple countries, including Germany, France, and the Netherlands, has seen a decrease in the presence of their nodes. This indicates that at least some of the new anonymous nodes may be located in those countries. So, dude, Tor, torn it up, man. Um, I, one thing that I want to say about the the how what they said about the difficulty of of routing through Tor, it would appear. Now I have not done it yet myself because I do not have the premium version of the software. I got to pay a hundred bucks, ninety nine to be specific, to the guys over at MyNode. So because I'm using a community edition of MyNode, that does not include Tor. The premium version of the software does include Tor. Am I miffed that they're that the guys at MyNote are doing that? No. You know why? Because they need to actually buy food and rent costs money and clothes cost money and money costs money. They're going to need to make money and I'm going to have absolutely no problem spitting out a hundred bucks to convert my node software from the community edition to the premium edition. And that will enable Tor network for me. So I will within the whole, the whole setup, or I can reset my node to be able to operate over the Tor network, uh, presumably with a couple of button pushes. We shall see. I shall report 
when I see it. Grayscale Investment sees a future in Ethereum. Classic. <laughs> Grayscale Investments, a subsidiary of the Digital Currency Group, is pledging an additional two years of support to the Ethereum Classic Cooperative, or the ECC. Uh, in a press release, the digital asset manager explained that one-third of the fees collected through its Grayscale Ethereum Classic Trust will continue to go toward funding the ECC through the end of 2021. This allows the Ethereum Classic Cooperative to continue to fund various development projects on the ETC protocol. That's all I'm going to read about that. I find it interesting <clears throat> that Grayscale is uh, looking at Ethereum Classic, uh, for those of you who don't know. And we were ta I was talking about this a little bit uh, earlier uh, <laughs> earlier before in today's episode. We're, um, the whole f thing about forking Ethereum that I think is going to happen because of a proof to a proof of stake movement um, is going to piss off a bunch of miners and they're going to fork. So how did Ethereum Classic happen? Well, it was the DAO. It was something called the DAO hack, and let's not get into the nitty gritty of that because it has been talked about several times, but a thing happened, a theft occurred. And what happened is it caused Ethereum to split into um, Ethereum classic and the Ethereum that we know today is ETH. Uh, Ethereum classics ticker is ETC. Uh, generally speaking, what happened is that a theft occurred and the guys over at Ethereum decided that they were just going to roll that back, which is completely antithetical to the entire freaking space that Bitcoin started. Yes, that's right. None of this shit would be alive without Bitcoin. So you can stuff that in your pipe and smoke it. Um, when they decided to roll the theft back, many people got pissed off in the Ethereum community and they decided that they were like, you know what? We're going to make sure that that theft did occur because the, the, the ethos of the space demanded it. So Ethereum Classic includes the theft. Now, the coin's value isn't anywhere close to Ethereum's value. I think it's, Ethereum's chilling out at 170 or 160 right now. Um, and Ether uh, or Ethereum Classic is at like eight bucks or nine bucks. But uh, that's that's how we got Ethereum Classic. And Grayscale, just they just reported yesterday that they had like $600 million flow in to their company uh, in like last year. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of cash, bro. And all of a sudden, or not all of a sudden, but now they, the news comes back up that they are still very interested in Ethereum Classic. Does that mean you should invest in a shit coin? What do I always say? No, <laughs> buy Bitcoin to make it easier on yourself. My God, y'all. Um, okay, that's, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. There was one more, but essentially it's just... BitMEX CEO is, is saying that Bitcoin volumes is going to nosedive as the Chinese New Year approaches. Essentially, all that is, is that, yes, the Chinese New Year is coming up. And yes, historically, we always see a drop in volume in the Chinese New Year because apparently it's only China that drives the entire market. I call bullshit, but there is there is something about the fact that volumes do have a tendency to decline when 1.6 billion people decide to stop doing everything and celebrate their new year. Anyway, again, that's that's it for the morning roundup.
right, yesterday I brought you the Who, the Seeker. <clears throat> Today, I'm bringing you the Seeker back, except this time it's by Rush, uh, live, just like I like it. We'd like to do something a little different now. Before we started this tour, we decided to record some songs that we loved when we were young musicians about 100 years ago. So uh, we'd like to share some of that music with you tonight. This is a song by The Who called The Seeker.
Daily Trainwrecked is brought to you by Eric Voorhees, who on January the 6th, okay, I'm, I'm, I've kind of got like an inventory of these and I'm, I'm trying to spin up here. Uh, on January the 6th, in reply to Udi Wertheimer, um, says, Maxis, kind of like Trump, have taught us how to use adolescent disparagement and simple labels to easily reject entire realms of thought and discussion. That's right. Eric Voorhees just compared Bitcoin maximalists to people who, I don't know, like are, are, he compared us to Trump. I, I don't get that. I just don't. It's not that I don't like Trump or like Trump. I don't give a shit because I don't give a shit about politicians in general. But dude, I mean, we're, we're going to be Nazis next. I mean, I'm serious, guys. Watch out because that narrative is coming. That narrative is coming. One of the things that I never saw maximalists do in, in mass was call out somebody like Vitalik Buterin and call him a Nazi. Okay, but I guarantee you that that is going to happen to all of us. We are going to be Nazis in short order. So where is this whole thing coming from? All right, well, it's coming from 2-Bit Idiot, uh, Ryan Selkis. On January the 6th, he had had tweeted out that the maximalists that got triggered over the weekend are snowflakes. I love Bitcoin and I love Nakamoto.com. Congrats, Balaji. I'm excited for what comes next. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then Udi Wertheimer, you know, responded to that by saying, mostly a good take other than the confrontational use of maxis to describe people whose opinions you dislike. So I, I used to like two bit idiot, but like, um, several people that used to like Bitcoin, he has gone the way of either Bcash or BSV. He says he loves Bitcoin, but he doesn't. Uh, he was one. Of, I think he was one of the other people behind uh, Crypto All Stars uh, as well, um, and I, maybe even Crypto Kitties. I can't remember because I, I, I just I find I generally speaking I stop listening to these people when when they show their ass. But Nakamoto.com for those of you who have forgotten, this started the whole pro BTC thing that, uh, we had to deal with at the first of the year, which is now already dead. I, I love this space because circuses, it's like a circus. That's a weekend circus, right? They, they set up their tents, it's clowns all around. And then all of a sudden you wake up one day and they're freaking gone, which I, I, I enjoy that immensely, but thank you, Eric Voorhees for being the smoldering pile for the day. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. I was feeling lonely, so I bought some shares. It's nice to have some company. That's not even worth the sound effects. That's so, that's terrible. Why did I include it? Uh, Reminds me of Square Crypto, where you apparently can buy slivers of shares. That's right, slivers of shares. I can buy apparently a dollar's worth of Tesla. I don't know if I want it, but... Uh, everybody else seems to just love it, but God, that's just a terrible freaking joke. Okay. So thank God for jokes though, because without them, 
where would we be? Now, I want to just say a few words. I'm not going to be able to get into the whole carbon thing today. Um, I will make a, a, a concerted effort to put something together about this whole carbon farming thing uh, that I talked about earlier. Um, put that thing together for y'all for tomorrow for a Friday show. I've been meaning to do it all week long. I really want to talk about this thing called Terra Preta. Um, I've talked about biochar before uh, quite a while ago. Um, but I'm seeing on Twitter and other places, uh, a whole lot of Bitcoiner, well, not a whole lot of Bitcoiners, but some, God, I was about to say top Bitcoiners, but that's, this is not true. Uh, if you're in Bitcoin, you're all top. Um, but people like Peter McCormick, who's, you know, are definitely, you know, arguably maybe one of the most successful Bitcoin um, oh God podcasters in the space. You got to give it to him. I mean, they, that it's kind of a fact. Um, he's been going on lately about man-made climate change. <clears throat> and then I got this, I had this whole story about where, where was that? Where, where, where was that thing? Um, Nori talking about using Ethereum to, uh, I don't know, get their somehow or another launch a token that's supposed to get farmers to put carbon into the soil. Guys, there there's a whole, maybe even it may be as long ago as 16,000 years, but we, but there is at least 5,000 years of, uh, date or the data suggests that starting at least 5,000 years ago, human settlements were putting carbon into the ground and they weren't doing it because of climate, because they didn't know, right? But what they what what they had discovered is that when they did this, it turned the soil any soil. You you could have started with sand. And if you put enough carbon into that sand, you're going to end up with really fertile, permanent, permanently fertile soils. Generally speaking, these types of soils are called terra preta or black earth or <clears throat> um, I, there's a couple of there's a couple of other words that, that are for it. But there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into this. But one of the things that um, is really important about the terra preta is is the knowledge that when you put crystalline carbon like charcoal, OK, uh, or biochar, which is charcoal, but, uh, kind of done where almost all of the volatiles are, are baked and boiled out of it. And you're just left with almost 99.99% pure carbon. That's not in the form of diamonds or graphite. Okay. It's in the form of charcoal. But when you put, the, when you bury that and get it away from oxygen, that shit lasts in the soil for a thousand years. There are ways to satisfy the people that are running around screaming about climate change and they want to spend all this government money. Well, hell, they can give me some money and I will put tons of carbon into the soil with data-proven guarantees that that carbon will not see the light of day for at least 1,000 years. I can set that system up. If you want to give me cuts a few million dollars, then... I got your back. I can start that shit right now. I can start that shit right now. And all I see 
is a bunch of people running around how we're all going to die because we're all going to be flooded. And they're showing me pictures of Venice. That's, oh my God, Venice is flooding. Guys, Venice is built in a lagoon. It was built in a lagoon in the fifth century. They did it because the people on the mainland in Italy were tired of getting harassed by, I don't know, maybe they were Visigoths. I don't know who the hell was attacking them, but there was a bunch of barbarians that were basically causing problems to the point that they were like, well, hell, we'll just build a town out in the middle of that damn lagoon with all the fishermen that are out there on that 108 or 118 islands, and we'll just build out there. And that way, if the barbarians really want to jack with us, they got to cross all this freaking water, and, and it worked. They got away from it. They, were, they used a water barrier. But the drawback to that is that you built your city in a lagoon. What do you expect to happen? Venice floods all the time. Okay? It's been flooding since the 5th century. The Venetians know how to deal with it. They built their town to deal with it. <laughs> that whole city is purpose-built to be flooded, okay? If I see, I, I'm because I'm seeing so much of this, I figured instead of bitching about it, I'd at least posit you guys the possibility or a possible way to get the all the carbon dioxide, or not all, but to start getting the carbon dioxide out of the air. There are ways to do this, okay? Does that mean that I'm like running around saying that we're all going to die because carbon dioxide in the air? No. I've said it on this show several times, dude. We're on our seventh atmosphere. Maybe more, maybe one or two less. It kind of depends on the research that you're reading. But the atmosphere that we breathe was not the atmosphere that was here 100, 200, 300, a billion years ago. There, the, the atmosphere of Earth used to resemble the atmosphere of Venus until a whole bunch of bacteria that were able to live in that climate, they were using that and they were expelling, guess what? Oxygen. I can pick up a handful of soil and there is at least a trillion, in good soil, there is one trillion separate bacterium. Multiply that by the face of the freaking planet plus all the bacteria that can live in seawater, and at all this time, they're using this to us noxious and poisonous atmosphere to generate oxygen. They were using they were using this stuff that had oxygen in it, like sulfur dioxide, and they were using the sulfur as part of their mechanism to generate energy in their own bodies, and they were able to strip off. The oxygen molecule, which doesn't like to be alone, so it finds another oxygen molecule, binds together, and boom, O2. They produced so much O2 that they killed themselves. The earth was fine. We may kill ourselves, but destroying the earth is a narrative that really needs to go away. The only thing that's going to destroy the earth is a moon-sized object slamming into it, breaking it in half to where it splits all the way down to the core, and you've got two separate hemispheres of the earth floating away from each other in space that jacks up its orbit so bad that all life on the planet dies. That's what kills the earth, okay? So stop with the whole wetting your diapers about CO2 in the atmosphere. 
There's ways to do it. And what's great about it is I don't even, I want to do this. I would love to have to build the system that I've got in my head that that functionally puts tons of raw carbon into the soil. But I would be doing it just to build soil. The byproduct would make all the people that are wetting their diapers happy because they'd be going, oh, look, he's at least trying to save the earth. I ain't saving the earth. I'm building soil because I want to plant shit on it that my children can harvest and sell to people to eat. That's my impetus. It's not about saving the planet. The fact that it actually helps get the CO2 out of the atmosphere is a byproduct of the capitalism. All right. So anyway, we'll talk about Terra Preta. I will put something together. We will talk about it in all of its forms and some of it's kind of gross. So be prepared. We'll do that on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.